Amen. Thank you so much for that. It looks like some folks are still traveling, but I'm glad that y'all are here. Um, Some of y'all probably have been on some road trips over the holidays. Any of y'all traveled over the Christmas holidays, been different places? If you're like me and you have kids in the car, you probably heard that favorite phrase, are we there yet? Um, Which is a wonderful phrase to hear over the Christmas holidays. Um, And uh, You know, when you're a kid, every road trip seems like a very, very long road trip. My daughter, Amelia, who's four, uh, she'll ask in the car, Dad, how far are we from home? We're just two minutes away, baby. That's forever, she'll say. And so uh, for kids, road trips always take forever. I I can remember several from my childhood that stand out in my mind, but the the fabled trip uh, that seemed to take the longest was whenever I was in elementary school and my aunt and my mother decided to drive me, my cousin, and my brother and uh, or two cousins and my brother, all six of us from Spartanburg to Naples, Florida, and uh, we were in a five-passenger vehicle. And uh, I feel nervous about saying that, but surely there's no liability at this point. But back then, there just wasn't as much pressure to have everybody in a seat belt and everybody, uh, you know, in a car seat. And so we drove down there, four of us in the back seat of this four-door sedan. Or two, yeah, four-door sedan. And um, my cousin, who's my age, our brothers uh, were three and a half years older than we were, still are, three and a half years older than we are now, too. But as we were driving, we said, well, we'll just kind of have a little trade-off, you know? And so the first leg of the trip, we'll ride in the floorboard of the vehicle. The entire trip, we rode from Spartanburg to Naples from the floorboard of the back seat. And I imagine there must have been yells from the back seat, are we there yet? Are we there yet? As it just seemed to take forever. Well, today we are going to be looking at one of the greatest Are We There Yet journeys that's ever been described in history, and it's found in Exodus chapter 13. That's where I'll be reading from this morning. Uh, But as we pick up the story in uh, Exodus 13, God has demonstrated uh, his power before Pharaoh and before the Egyptians through these ten great plagues that he sent, the last one being the death of the firstborn. And it's after that tenth plague that Pharaoh finally lets the Israelite children go. And this gigantic traveling party in Exodus 13 is still in Egypt. And they're headed down towards the Red Sea where we know miraculously God is going to use Moses to split the sea so the people can walk across on dry land, right? And so that's where we are in Exodus 13. But it appears that uh, God is not necessarily taking them on the most direct route. So let me read to you Exodus 13, and I'll read uh, for you verses 17 through 19. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. Uh, For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath, saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. I think what we discover here is that God leads, right? The people don't always follow, but God always leads. In fact, in this passage, we see how God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, and he doesn't give them the most direct path. He actually chooses the roundabout way to get from here 
to there. And what I think you're going to see this morning is that God leads his people to a destination of spiritual freedom. So how does he do that? Well, we're going to learn by looking at the scripture here. But the first thing that I notice here in the passage is that God leads away from slavery. So you know the context of this passage. But you notice at the very beginning of verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go. Okay, so the Israelites had not always been in Egypt, right? That was not their hometown. That was not their primary place that they were supposed to live and to be. Uh, but Genesis gives us the history of the patriarchs. So there's Abraham who God made covenant with. Abraham had a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And but one of them he showed favoritism to. Do y'all remember who that son is, right? It's Joseph. So uh, Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph. And the brothers get jealous. And so uh, they sell Joseph into slavery. And by a certain set of events... Uh, Joseph ends up in the, uh, lead, uh, working for Pharaoh in Egypt, guiding Egypt through this great famine. And it's there in Egypt that Joseph shows amazing grace to his brothers as they come there. And he uh, reveals who he is. He shows this grace towards them. And then he invites Jacob, his father, his brothers, their families to come move into Egypt to a certain land where they could have abundance during the midst of this great famine. Now, it seemed to go well for a while. Uh, but eventually, Joseph dies. So Joseph dies, and then the Egyptian leadership, who kind of were showing gratitude to Joseph and his family, they also die, and it kind of leaves the Israelites vulnerable at this moment. So this is not their homeland, but this is where they happen to be. And Exodus 1 gives us the full context. It says in verse 8, A new king, who had not known Joseph, came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, Look! The Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So, the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. So these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob become the labor force that are enslaved in Egypt particularly to build two great store cities in the country. And the biblical account says that the Egyptians were very harsh, ruthless toward the Israelites. They had this bitter existence there. And as slaves, the Hebrews were forced into hard labor and severe oppression. Okay, we don't know. Scholars kind of differ on when this precisely happened. But it was probably around the 15th century B.C. So about 3,500 years ago, is whenever this great exodus took place. And, um, and so at that point, uh, we have this ancient institution of slavery in full force. People who are treated like outsiders, or are viewed as outsiders, are treated as less than human. Um, and so it's just this ancient institution, but we know it also left its own scars in our own country. In fact, it was an acceptable practice in our own community 150 years ago. That's just six, year, uh, six generations ago. Um, right here on this block. It was an acceptable practice to treat humans as less than human. Uh, in fact, it affected our church. You may not know this, but some of our original members here who were baptized into membership here in 1809 were slaves. And so we treat slavery, though, as some old, out-of-date institution. But it's not gone away. So here we are in 2017. We're moments away from ringing in the very modern 2018, and slavery is still a blight on our world and our generation today. Do you know the International Justice Mission says that there are 40 million people 
living in slavery in our world today. Can you imagine that? That is five times the population of New York City in our world living as modern day slaves. They might be being forced into hard labor or they might be called up in the sex trade that's kind of running rampant in our world right now. But whenever people use violence or they use lies to force somebody to work for little or no pay, that's slavery. And that's happening in our world in spades right now. And it's not just in third world countries. It's not just on the other side of the world. Just last month, uh, 11 people were arrested after a sting involving a 16-year-old girl who was forced into prostitution in West Columbia. So it's within our own community. And I think about that and I think, you know, someday the Old Testament prophet said that justice is going to flow like mighty waters. And I think God's going to bring justice to bear against this terrible sin that's in our own world and has been and still exists today. Now, you may not know someone who's physically enslaved. You may not know someone who forced somebody else into slavery, but you do know someone who is spiritually enslaved. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 34, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So have you ever sinned before? Well, the Bible has told us that, right? We all know. The Bible says, for all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. So when we sin, it's when we choose to live our own way, to go our own way, to to choose our preferences over God's preferences. It's to miss the mark of what God has set up to be uh, the aim for our life. So any time that you lust rather than love, or whenever you hold a grudge rather than forgive, or whenever you seek to be served rather than to find a way to serve, or whenever, uh, you, all kinds of ways that you might sin in your own life, uh, you know, it happens when we think more highly of ourselves. So all of those things are sin that entrap us. You know, from God's view, it leaves us in prison and it leaves us wholly separated from him. So are you a slave to sin? Scripture says if you've never received forgiveness from God, that it comes only through the shed blood of Jesus By believing in him and his death, burial, and resurrection, that's the only way to find freedom from the oppression of sin um, in your life. So God leads away from slavery, and he leads away from sin. God's intended destination is always freedom for us, freedom that's found only in the Lord Jesus. And so today, I'm just going to ask you here, at the end of a year, beginning of a new one, would you look in your own heart and just analyze it? Are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave to righteousness? Because that's really the only two options, okay? God demands a decision when you come face to face with Jesus. Will you follow him or will you reject him? And the only way to be set free from sin is through Jesus as a gracious gift from God. So God forced Pharaoh's hand and then Pharaoh let the people go out of Egypt. And God was leading his people to freedom. Generations earlier, God had made this promise to Abraham, this covenant to Abraham... Uh, that he would bring a great nation out of his descendants and he would give them their own land. So although God's fulfilling that promise he made to Abraham by leading his people out of slavery into this place of freedom, I want you to notice in our text that God God often leads in indirect paths. Verse 17 and 18, it says, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness. 
the Hebrew children were going on this journey. It was a journey from slavery to freedom, from a journey from poverty and enslavement uh, you know, to abundance. They were headed to the promised land that God had given to them. And so God really only describes two parts of the journey, though. Uh, see, whenever he visited Moses, he said, I've heard the cries of my people, I'm going to deliver them. Uh, he says to him, I'm going to bring them out of that land uh, to a good and broad land uh, that's flowing with milk and honey. So he's going to take them from one place to the other. He never mentioned what was going to happen in between. But that's what we're looking at right now. Uh, see, this would have been a really simple journey in a lot of ways. Uh, if you know ancient geography or even modern geography, there was a direct path from Egypt to the Promised Land, to Canaan, that was just across uh, this, the Sinai Peninsula. And the whole journey as the crow fl uh, flies uh, would have been less than about 200 miles. So in a matter of a few weeks, they could have gotten to this intended destination. That may sound overwhelming to us, no modern transportation, no moving vans, no moving people. But, you know, it will be doable in a matter of weeks. So only two weeks journey, but God takes them on the roundabout way for 40 years. Our Heavenly Father had an alternate route in mind. Doesn't that sound like every dad, you know? Let's take the scenic route, you know? Whenever at uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we were up in Spartanburg, headed to Tennessee, where our family's from. And uh, that morning, woke up, and Dad said, Son, I might take your boys, and I'm just going to drive up through Lake Lure and Chimney Rock. I figure that might be fun for them to see. Okay, so he took the scenic route. We went straight up 26 and made it in no time, but they took the scenic route because that's what dads like to do. So our Heavenly Father uh, takes them on this 40-year journey by the road of the wilderness, uh, the roundabout way. John Ortberg has written, This is the God who precisely, because he loves his children, refuses to take the shortcut they would much prefer. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I've just thought, God, is there not a shortcut here? You know, is there not some way I can quickly get through this? I know you're trying to teach me something. I'm, I've learned it. Let's get there, you know. But precisely because God loves us, he doesn't take us on that shortcut. Um, I think I've told you before, but my wife Rachel says I'm always in a hurry. Uh, maybe I am. I, you know, I don't really put it in drive before the seatbelts are buckled. I kind of do it before the doors get shut, you know. I'm already in and ready to go. At some point, the doors are going to shut, the seatbelts are going to click, and we can go. And I start analyzing every lane of traffic, you know. Fa fast mathematical things in my head to determine which lane's going to be the fastest, who's going to get on the brakes the fastest, who's going to be turning this way. I'm, I'm always in a hurry. Even whenever I have no reason to be in a hurry, I'm in a hurry, okay. And so, I, but I do it safely, all right. So I'm always in a hurry. Now, my wife, on the other hand, Rachel, um, let's just say she enjoys life, okay? She enjoys life. Unlike me, she takes it slow. She's very patient. She teaches me patience. It's an easy lesson to learn, isn't it? Rarely in a hurry. Even if she's going to be late, she's not necessarily going to get into a hurry. So you can imagine this makes for a whole lot of good-hearted humor in our home as we bump up against each other. We're going to call it humor today, okay? But I, I don't really enjoy the roundabout way. It's not my favorite thing. For almost all of 2017, there has been a roundabout route I've had to travel to and from my home every single day. We live in West Columbia, and some of you have also been affected by the bridge that's out on Leapart Road that goes over I-26. It's been like since March, okay? All I wanted for Christmas was that bridge to open up. 
I did not get what I wanted. They say it might happen by the end of January, um, and so we'll, we'll see. But I, I, I don't like the scenic route of Augusta Road or, you know, uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Well, we know God had a purpose on leading the Hebrews on the roundabout way. It was not simply to take in the sights and sounds, to see Chimney Rock or Lake Lure. God does lead his people on roundabout ways. He does not move hastily. He is rarely in a hurry. Sounds like somebody I know. And there are some wonderful qualities about God, but I hope you'll forgive me if I say that I find God's often slow pace to be one of the most irritating qualities about him. Now, don't get me wrong. He can move quickly when he wants to. Maybe you've experienced a dramatic answer to prayer just overnight like that. But as a general rule, God seems to move slowly. I mean, look at the world around us. Sometimes I think if I were in charge, I would take all this mess and it would be over with, right? But I do love that God is patient and loving. It's just it's not always the most fun experience to go through. In fact, um, God's delaying the end of history, but we know he's doing it out of love. 2 Peter 3, 9 assures us the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He is the God who takes his people to the promised land by way of the roundabout way. And it's not a minor detour, it's 40 years. Well, it seems to me that everybody who follows the Lord is going to log some time in the wilderness. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there right now. So, see, sometimes we think that if we follow Jesus, we surrender our life to him, then life's going to be a bed of roses, that everything will go just as we expect it to. But I would argue that if you take, if you, if you live long enough, if you follow God long enough, if you, uh, if, if you trust him seriously, you're going to learn about his roundabout ways. You will know where times of heartache from loss or from hurt um, or times whenever you are fatigued or, and sleep doesn't even seem to give you the rest that you're looking for. Uh, times when you really long for a good thing. Maybe just one good thing. And you feel like your motives are pretty pure about that. And you think if God, God could easily answer that, and he doesn't. Times when life hardly seems worth the effort. Well, let me tell you something you can always count on. If you find yourself in the wilderness, God will not leave you there. God will not abandon you there. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, we get an admonition. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He's saying this to the Hebrew children. But y'all, he echoes it in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. He will not leave you. I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. So if you find yourself in the wilderness right now, God's not going to abandon you there. He leads his children in roundabout ways. He's not in a hurry. His way is rarely the quickest way. It's seldom the easiest way. But it's always the best way, because it's the way that God's leading. By way of a podcast I listened to over Christmas, I was reintroduced to the Serenity Prayer. Been around for many decades. Some of y'all, most of y'all, are familiar with it. Shows up on keychains and bumper stickers. But um, it's this short prayer, and the, the version or the part we're most familiar with is the beginning of it. That says, "God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference." I've been thinking about that single phrase at the beginning, God grant me the uh, serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. That's most of life. Most of life are things that I cannot change because I don't get to choose the circumstances of my life. All I get to choose is how I'm going to react to them. All I get to choose is my attitude when I face them. So I have to learn 
to be able to accept the things I cannot change. Here's the point. If you live long enough, life's going to send your way circumstances that are unpleasant. And it's really going to challenge your serenity, your peace. You know, all of a sudden you lose a job or you get depressed. Your parents go through a divorce. You go through a divorce. The doctor says it's cancer. Um, your uh, girlfriend says she doesn't love you. Uh, you find yourself worrying about the kids or about money, and you can't quit doing that. We would all like to avoid the roundabout way, but God does not promise us that. See, serenity is not based on pleasant circumstances. Serenity really is a byproduct of finding a solid spiritual foundation to ground your life on. And a lot of times, that life is found on the roundabout way. See, I think there's some application that can be drawn here. God doesn't want us to remain infants. He wants us to grow up in the faith. And sometimes in order to grow up, we got to be in the wilderness to grow up. It's too hard to figure out how to grow up whenever you've got abundance and everything's going your way. You would think you would just trust God through that. But sometimes you've got to get on the roundabout way for God to teach you that lesson. So what is it? What's God teaching you? See, the wilderness has a way of strengthening us. And so that's one of the reasons that God didn't take them the more direct route. Because they weren't strong enough, or at least they didn't believe they were. So perhaps God's using this time in your life to strengthen you. So now's not the time to back down. Now's not the time to shrink. God is calling you to press harder and to endure as a faithful servant. So the path in which God led was difficult, but God leads where his people can follow. Verse 17, it says there, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. God knew there's a direct route, but if they go that way, they'll think to themselves, there's something worse than slavery, and it's war. And they'll head back in. And you think, that would be unbelievable. Who would do that? But God, I mean, that, that's what the scripture says would have happened. So God was perfectly capable of delivering them on the direct route. But he, they didn't believe that yet. So he led them, and he led them in a really clear way, a way that they could follow. If you keep reading in verse 21, it says, The Lord went ahead of them, and a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day, and a pillar of fire to give them light at night, so that they could travel day or night. Have you ever gotten lost? Just imagine, you couldn't get lost in this moment. I mean, God says, it's this way, cloud, follow. At night, there's fire. I mean, it must have been so easy to follow God. But let me tell you, even how obvious it seems to us, we know that the doubt started to sink in. Even though it's like, well, maybe God doesn't really mean for us to go that way, even though he's going that way. And you think, how could they do that? Well, the truth is we do it all the time. Uh, you know what God says to you about your relationship with your spouse. He could not be more clear about being faithful unto death. He could not be more clear about forgiving as you've been forgiven. But still we hit moments where we start to doubt that. Or maybe you're considering a relationship that you know would be destructive, that would be uh, dishonoring to God, but you're lonely or maybe angry and you're still like, ah, maybe God wouldn't want me to not be in this. Or you're wrestling over and over with the same sin and you try to, to resist, but you seem to fall right back into it and you're at the point where you're like, I'm just going to throw the towel in. Because, God, I mean, obviously God's not delivering, this from, delivering me from this. God has clearly spoken. In fact, when I was a kid, I memorized 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
Still remember it today. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So if God is leading you, he will lead you out of temptation. Maybe you uh, have a difficult person in your life, coworker, classmate, parent. You're about to just throw the towel in on that. You're like, I can't redeem this relationship. But God's clearly spoken to you. He's clearly commanded us to redeem those relationships. Maybe God doesn't give you a cloud. Maybe doesn't he give you a pillar of fire. But you know what he does give you? His infallible word. He speaks to you through that. He gives you godly counsel through great ministers and teachers and writers. He gives you family to help you not fall. So will you follow God where he's clearly leading you as his child? Because let me tell you, he always leads in a place where you can follow. You just have to be willing to take up your cross, to deny yourself, and to follow after him. Finally, no matter what, God always leads to the place he promised. Did you notice verse 19? Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath, saying, God will certainly come to your aid, then you must take my bones with you from this place. See, Joseph knew Egypt is not where we're supposed to be. He knew his father uh, Jacob, grandfather Isaac, great-grandfather Abraham. God had made a promise to them. This is not where we're supposed to be. So God will keep his promise. And when he does, you take my bones and you carry him with you. Because I know he's going to answer in that way. God always leads to the place that he promised. In delivering Israel from Pharaoh's hands, God sent the plague of death to the firstborn. And the Hebrews were set free after the death of the firstborn male in Egypt. And this plague kind of points to the death of Jesus to purchase our freedom, particularly the whole celebration of Passover, the sacrifice of a lamb, blood over the door, and the, the uh, angel of death would pass over. Well, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty for every sin, every word, every deed uh, that we've ever committed that falls short of what God's called us to. And his triumph over death shouts to you and everyone else that he has made a way that we can follow him into eternal life. Now you can try to make your own way. We do it all the time. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So God leads the Israelites out of Egypt. But he chooses to do so by the roundabout way. Now it wasn't how they necessarily expected it to be. It wasn't as easy as maybe they thought it should be. It definitely wasn't as quick as one would expect it to go. But God brought them out of Egypt and he took them into the promised land. See, God always leads away from slavery, but he uses indirect paths to get there. And he leads people where they can follow. And God always leads to the place that he promised. So today, how are you going to respond to God? Because, see, I think God's still speaking. I think God's still leading. And I believe that he wants to lead you as well, to make decisions. Pharaoh responded to God by hardening his heart. The book of Hebrews says, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So if you're a Christian who's following God, and maybe you found yourself on the roundabout way, don't throw the towel in. God will lead you through this period of your life to a place of freedom. See, most of the time, it doesn't make sense until you get to the end and you can look back. And then you look back and you see just exactly what he's been up to. 
So don't give up now. He may be strengthening you for a task that he's calling you to in the future. So as we begin this new year, analyze your life. What is it that God has taught you this past year to prepare you for 2018? Now, if you've never received the Lord Jesus and believed in him for salvation by receiving forgiveness of sins through his blood, it, it, it only takes faith. That's all it takes. An act of faith where you trust in Jesus to do what's needed to pay the penalty for your sins. And so today I'm going to give you uh, the opportunity to respond to both of those decisions. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to once again revisit your word and to be challenged and changed by it. God, I pray that you would help us to be diligent now, not just to see what happened to somebody else, but really analyze, God, what you might want to do in our hearts and our lives, what you may be speaking to us about, what you, where you may be leading us. God, I pray that... Uh, as people are presented with the gospel, that they might respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to invite you to stand. As our choir sings, uh, then you respond. Whatever God's leading you to do, you respond. We'll be down front waiting for you.